Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome everyone to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove. And for this, I guess, special episode, joining me is the one and the only judge. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, before we get into uh, the business of what we're, uh, what we're doing here, um, I just want to remind everybody that if you have a story or uh, experience you want to share with us, Come find us at From the Shadows Podcast on Facebook. Find our forum page on Facebook called After the Shadows. You can find me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram. Send me a message. Uh, find us at From the Shadows Podcast on Instagram or just do it the old-fashioned way. Go to our website, From the Shadows Podcast. Hit the contact button. Send me an email. I promise I'll read it and get back to you, uh, especially if you've got a really good story. So, uh so, Judge, um, this episode that we're playing today, this is like, now we just did this recently in memoriam for another good friend of ours, David Hensley, um, who who passed away. Uh, another friend of the podcast who has kind of a, had kind of a special meaning, especially to you, uh, Linda Goffrey passed away a little over a week ago now. So, yeah, we kind of wanted you. to... We're going to replay our interview with Linda Gottfried because it's so long ago. It's It really is. It was one of the first big interviews we did. And a lot of our recent um, listeners probably have not heard that episode. 
Yeah, great episode with Linda. Well, what a shock to hear that she had passed away. Um, and, you know, she holds a special spot in my heart because, you know, those out there who have listened to my dog man story, you know, that I've told, you know, I was a teenager when I had my experience and, and I had no idea of the, the concept or the term of art dog man. And, you know, that what I saw that night didn't, you know, coming out of the corn that had been pursuing me, it did not register to me that that was a werewolf. And because of, you know, as I've said this before, you know, Hollywood gave me an image of what the wolf man looked like. And so for years and then years and years and years, didn't tell anybody what it was because I really didn't know what to tell people what it was. And then I even had, you know, when, when the Internet finally came along, you know, I started doing research trying to find what did I see that night back in the 80s? You know, what was it that I saw? And even, you know, kind of, you know, the Hounds of Baskerville, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Um, well, no, it wasn't the black dogs. You know, I thought, you know, there's different things. And then one day. I picked up a book by Linda and I started reading it and she was talking about the beast of Bray road and you know, what she described was something that, that I had seen. And, and when I first, when I saw that thing that night come out of the corn, what it looked like to me was the Egyptian God Anubis. And I was reading her book and I was reading some of the eyewitness accounts and one individual that she had talked about in the book Describe what he saw as the Egyptian god Anubis. And I said, oh my gosh, that's what I saw. And that's how the term dog man became real to me. And, and you know, for years as a teenage kid and then growing into an adulthood and years go by, years go by, you question, did I really see what I thought I saw? Was, was this a figment of my imagination? Was I scared? You know, did I really just see a shadow? And And then when I read Linda's book, and that person described what they saw as the Egyptian god Anubis. It, I mean, it meant the world to me because that gave me validation of what I had seen. And Linda was instrumental in doing that. Yeah, I mean, and I know we've talked about this, uh, you know, a couple of different times. But, I mean, I remember you calling me and saying, hey, I know what it was. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Now, of course, we've... You know, that night, I, we remember like it happened yesterday, except the fact that, you know, you never told us what, what it was you saw. And I mean, it was 30 some years later before you had the guts to say it. And it was only because Linda had done all this research, put right. together eyewitness accounts and basically gave um, people who were afraid to come forward the validation they needed to tell their stories, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't say that I would or would not have came forward with my story, but for reading that book and, and being validated and, and seeing that this person who she had interviewed saw exactly what I saw. Well, yeah. And, and the funny, the funny thing is, is that we basically have this podcast because of Linda Coffrey. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's the point, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's kind of weird. We talk about six degrees of separation, of you know, and, and how one person may inspire another and stuff like that. But you think about it. Me reading that Linda Godfrey book inspired this podcast. This podcast have inspired other people 
similarly situated to come forward and tell their stories that they had never told anybody yeah. before. Yeah. And then stories end up on Seth Breedlove's. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, American werewolves. American werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. Because so yeah. yourself. Then you got to ask yourself how many people saw American Werewolf by Seth Breedlove and were inspired by that. By your story. So everybody that has seen American Werewolves and heard your story or um you know our other guest that we had on that was on after what who appeared in American Werewolf, how how many of those people then were inspired? Those people are all not even knowing it were were inspired to maybe come forward and tell their story. And it all goes back to Linda Godfrey, you know, yep. and and then, and then when we were starting out the podcast and we did it because, you know, you felt in, okay, I know what I saw. I want to go tell my story to a right. couple different podcasts. And mm-hmm. we like a bunch of knuckleheads thought, well, we can do this. Okay. Not knowing anything. Um, and Linda was, was gracious enough in the pretty early days to come on Right. And talked to us and kind of blew us away with her, some of her theories. And and, and we don't want to ruin it because people are going to listen to this episode then and here. But this episode really, as you guys listen to this, like we're all in a room together, me and the judge and Jason. And we're geeking out because like we're talking to like the real deal. Like we're, you know, we're just a bunch of amateurs. Not even, we're talking to the real deal, having a conversation with. with well, this the, was really early on. I think if you remember, I referred to as the godmother of Dogman. Yeah, 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 and absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a fair title. And you think about kind of, you know, and we've talked to a lot of, I guess you could say, famous people now in the crypto world. But at that time, you know, talking to Linda Godfrey was like, you know, was like talking to Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? This is mm-hmm. was the lady that termed the the term dog man. This was a lady that did all the groundwork and the reporting, the investigation up in Wisconsin. And then and I'm not going to give it away, but, you know, it was from that interview with her that we discovered the importance of Indian burial grounds, which totally blew you and I away. Yep, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I mean, they've made movies based on some of her research. I, her mm-hmm. son, her son is kind of followed in her footsteps and he's doing, I believe, documentaries and stuff now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, you know, and she was so gracious to talk to us and, and right. knowing and knowing now, like, um, you know, that she was probably in the early stages of her her being sick yeah. even is kind of more special that we did get the chance to talk to her. And I mean, I know I sent her a couple messages and told her how much it meant to us. So she kind of knew, um, you know, she yeah. knew what it meant to us, but to her, it was just whole part of the part of the deal. Like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta shine a light on this. And, you know, there was nobody too small that she wouldn't talk to. And, and, you know, our, our you know, the, the, the podcast numbers, you know, are, are ever growing. But if you remember at that time, oh, we, were fewer, we were fewer than like a thousand downloads a month. It was, it was not very many. Like, like, I mean, yes, it, you can't, it's not even comparable. Like if we got a hundred downloads in a day, 
we thought we were uh, something was wrong. Okay, well, and and that's what was so special about Linda was that you know she to come on our on the podcast, and we were in the crypto world, we were nobodies, you know, now we've had been the number one show in Iceland before. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so for that week in Iceland, we were somebody. For that week but, in Iceland, uh, <laughs> but you, but, but that's a testament to who she was as a, as an investigator and a researcher that she knew we were people who, who thirsted for that knowledge. And she was willing to give us her time, which I'm sure was incredibly valuable. And, um, uh, you know, really helped. Not only did she inspire me to come forward with my story, but she gave us insight and sent us down roads that we never would have imagined and, and really some enlightenment. So, you know, it's with a very heavy heart that we replay this episode um, because what a what a wonderful person and, you know, a giant in the cryptozoology world. Yeah, I, I was just thinking back about this episode and how excited we were when we got, to, like, I remember when we got clicked, you know, said our goodbyes and clicked off, and we just kind of sat around the table, like, looking at each other, like, holy smokes, did, you, did she just say that? Like, the, the revelation that, that we uh, that we had based on some of her, her findings or beliefs were... Uh, it was it was really yeah. cool, and, and what it did is it kind of turned us into little investigators ourselves, which yeah. I don't think we'd ever claim to be. But then to go and, like you said, discover some things that that pertain to your experience and and kind of come full circle. There were some know? things, and you know, it was her, it was her conversation, and and which really kind of turned my opinion about what these things are you know the you know th there's always going to be this this debate in the dog man world is this a supernatural entity is this just just a flesh and bone you know wolf hybrid that nobody's ever been able to catch and categorize and different things like that it was from this show and i'm not giving it away that we got a tremendous amount of insight tremendous mm. amount of it just it'll just blow you away. And you know, there were things that I'd seen Linda on on TV programs and things like that before. And she gave us insight that she had never, to my knowledge, had ever put on TV. And so it was quite the it was quite the podcast. And I remember walking away from that going, oh my gosh. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm right there with you. It's you know, these are the people as, is, um, you know, we make, and I'm not going to say Linda Gottfried was our friend, but she was, a, you know, was she somebody. was the inspiration and she yeah. certainly was a fellow enthusiast when it came to, came to the topic of dog man and, and, and cryptozoology. And, you know, she was generous to us by even coming on the podcast as small as what we were at that time. And, um, you know, she's a legend and always be a legend and, and a pioneer in the field of cryptozoology because she's really the person who did the hardcore research and, and came up with the whole dog man, um, you know, storyline based upon, you know, a singular experience on Bray Road in, in Wisconsin. And then, you know, 
her research led her to other sightings and other sightings. And, and I remember, I'll never forget when I was reading her book, she said, as of today, and this is, I don't know, I can't remember how, when that book was published, but she said, as of today, there had been over 2,500 reported, reported dogman sightings. Now that means reported means they, they contacted law enforcement, they contacted, you know, you know, uh, you know, fishing game or department of, you know, natural resources, things that had been reported. And I remember sitting there reading that going, there has been 2,500 people who had the courage to come forward and mm -hmm. tell me, Hey, look, I just saw this bipedal wolf dog running around. It blew me away because I, because I, I remember my experience I'm like, who the hell am I going to call and tell this to that wouldn't laugh at my, <laughs> you know what I mean? If I was, if you go back to when I had my sighting, if I'd have picked up the phone and called the, the, the county sheriff, they would have said, hey, kid, quit pranking us. It's a crime, you know? Um, well, if you had done that, you would not be judged today. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I can say that. So, but yeah, so, so it, it blew me away that there had been, and, and, and so then I realized when I read her books that I was not, you know, I was not, you know, you know, unique at all. You know, there was nothing unique about my experience. If 2,500 other people had reported it. And then I said, they're saying, well, how about the people who didn't report it? How many is that? And, and those numbers just blew away. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody, I hope everybody enjoys this episode uh, gets gets as much fascination and uh, uh, amazement out of it as we did as we when we recorded it and afterwards and go out and you know in honor of Linda go buy one of her books you know what I'm saying go go read it's a good read yeah it's a great read so with that well before oh do we want to give we want to give a little bit of a tease of what's coming up here what what you've been working on and we're trying to get ready for, for our listeners. Yeah. We I could, put we a, could. I put something up on social media a couple of weeks ago. I uh, put the, the cover or some artwork from yeah. Bigfoot versus Yeti. Well, so, so I, I have, I have pinned a book um, with the title Bigfoot versus Yeti. Um, as a kid, I always enjoyed monster movies, but the monster movies that I always enjoyed the most was when two of these creatures actually fought each other. You know, King Kong versus all the Godzilla when the Godzilla versus Mothra and, and all that stuff. Oh, you know, yeah, I mean, remember the old Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla mm -hmm. oh, yeah. versus. And, and so even, you know, the Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, you know, those standalone movies in and of themselves were fascinating. But when two creatures actually engaged in combat, those were my favorite movies. And so one day I was sitting around and I was thinking, man, what would happen if a Bigfoot and a Yeti would somehow encounter each other and somehow fight? And. I started thinking to myself, well, how in the heck would that even happen? You know, these are, these are creatures separated by thousands of miles. And so I, I sat down and, and I wrote a story that would, how that would happen and some interesting characters. And, um, it should be out here in the next week or so for, uh, 
for people to read. And, you know, I hope people in, enjoy reading as much as I enjoyed writing. <laughs> I We actually, I actually brought it up there not a couple episodes ago that we're going to now. So we're trying to get it edited and formatted so that it's all, it's only going to be available digitally. And yes. We will make it available quote unquote free to all of our, all our Patreons. They're going to get to download it and read it. Or, you know, we'll put the, we'll put it up for everybody else. It's not a Patreon. They'll go, they can go to our website and, um, you know, and for a small fee or whatever, it's right. gotta be a couple, couple bucks. You can download it and read it. Um, we're working on a screenplay adaption of it. And, um, there may even be a, may even be a comic book edition. I don't know. We're talks with, with right. different entities about this. Um, the most exciting thing to me as I was reading it and we were going back and forth about it is 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 one of our good friends <laughs> plays plays a huge role in this and um, I know he'll be listening and I cannot wait for uh, for everybody to see the genius of Stacy Brown captured in black and white on the page. <laughs> well, I, I was I was inspired. I watched Stacy's documentary about the Florida skunk ape, and I thought it was so well done. And uh, and then he's mm -hmm. been and we we're friends with him. And I thought, what better what better person to capture as an expert in, in this realm than than the great <laughs> one and only Stacy Brown Jr. Exactly. Yeah, look, I concur. I couldn't agree more. He uh, he is a larger than life character, and uh, and I've already nailed it down. If we do get this made into a movie, he's agreed to play himself because I don't think anybody else can play. Can play. Well, no, capture his greatness other than himself. <laughs> so, all right. Well, enough enough promoting Stacy Brown. But yeah, so keep keep an eye out for Bigfoot versus Yeti. It should be out here hopefully before the end of by Christmas or you know oh, at least Christmas. by. And uh, so enjoy this episode uh, with Linda Gottfried. And if it sounds terrible or whatever, forgive us. It's early in our days of our uh, podcasting. And you absolutely blame the super producer Jason, who wasn't so super at the time. Well, none of us were very super. I don't even know we're very super right now. But uh, so, <laughs> well, enjoy the episode. We were super fans and still are of Linda Godfrey. Yes, super fans of Linda. And I hopefully, uh, if you had not already heard this episode, you too will be a super fan once uh, once you get done. So enjoy the show. On this podcast is the godmother of Dogman, not literally. But metaphorically, because that would be kind of weird if she was the godmother of dogs. This would be true. That would answer a lot of questions, though, of questions. about what Dogman really is. But <laughs> world-renowned, best-selling author, Dogman expert, Linda Gottfried is joining us today. How are you doing, Linda? I'm great, thanks. I'm really glad to be be here with you guys. That not there literally, but on air. <laughs> well, we were a little bit we were a little bit uh, weirded out this morning here in North Central Ohio where we're at. We woke up and the fog was like enveloped everything out in the country. And I woke up and I'm just kind of like, is this a 
a dogman conspiracy. The dogman's going to try to keep us from talking to Linda and 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 expose the truth to what dogman really is to it's a bad omen. to all of our <laughs> listeners. I had one of our lo- one of our loyal listeners and our first time our longtime sponsor, uh, Todd Redman, we went out for his morning jog and sent, and he knew we were talking to you this morning and he's like, if I don't, he sent me a picture from the road the country road he's jogging because if i don't come back make me a story on your on your podcast so we may have to amend this podcast if todd does not check if in he disappears if he doesn't check in so so linda we're super excited to have you on um and for all of our listeners who do not know who you are and, and what it is that you do you want to give uh, everybody a little background on how you got thrust into uh, the, the world's foremost expert. The world's foremost. Yes, and we can certainly say that without a shadow of a doubt. And if anybody challenges, we'll meet you out back and wrestle you, because we don't believe. We won't believe it. We won't believe them. No. So, it's, so it's all yours, Linda. What do you? What, what can you tell our listeners? Well, believe it or not, it's been almost thirty years since I started working for the county newspaper called The Week in southeastern Wisconsin. And people started telling me that they were seeing something that looked like a wolf or a German shepherd walking upright on this country road about, oh, it runs about three, four miles long, just outside of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. And they were saying, you know, I I know there's no such things as werewolves, but if there were, this would be it. Because they would describe something five to seven feet tall with a head like a wolf or German shepherd, long muzzle and fangs, and um, it, the thing was, it would be running or walking on its hind legs, which is something that uh, canines just don't do in the wild. You know, you can you can find lots of them on the internet, um, dancing for cookies or something like that. But, um, I mean, I'll dance around for happen. I'll dance around for cookies. You know, I mean, come on. There you go. Yeah, a lot of people would. I, it depends on the kind of cookie, but you know, um, a lot of people would. And this is a different sort of thing. Um, it does happen in the wild. I know there was a really popular, popular um, video that showed a bear walking and running on his hind legs because he had injured paws. And in nature, animals, if they they'll try and stay alive as long as they can, and if they can't run on all fours, they'll run on on two legs. And people have, have often trained larger mammals to do things, but. This wasn't anything like, um, you know, a single bear sighting or whatever. There were, I, I knew of at least 15 people by the time I finished investigating, and I knew there were more that I hadn't talked to, that over just the past several years, and this would have been 1991 into winter of 1992, that um, were insisting they'd seen it. And some of the sightings were already the um, three, four, five years old, so it had been going on a while. And I happened to be talking to, uh, to our um, county's animal control officer, and I asked him if he had heard anything about these rumors. And he gave me kind of a look, and he opened his file drawer and pulled out a file that was marked werewolf. Oh, jeez. So I'm sure my eyes were bulging open like, you know, the old Warner Brothers cartoons 
um, when they see something, the eyes will go boing. You know, I can hear Shaggy <laughs> right now. Zoinks! Well, at least he didn't. At least he didn't throw out a file that said Dracula and then said, "Oh, wait a second, that's the wrong one. Here's the word. Here's the word." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there actually um, was a sort of a mm, paranormal component to it. I'll, I'll get to in just a second. But what happened was, I he lent me. Um, the contact information. People had actually been contacting him and telling him, and it made sense, you know, if you see something big and sort of dangerous looking, you call your officials. And he really didn't know what any of them were talking about. You know, nobody had informed him before the witnesses started calling. And I went out and began interviewing them myself and was very impressed with their integrity. It was a very diverse group of people. Um, we had everything from um, an African-American woman who was uh, still in high school to um, a middle-aged lady who was running uh, late, late night um, to her job, you know, and so she was always out at night. We had a, a man who was um, an official, a highly placed official at a Milwaukee airport. There's only one big airport in Milwaukee, so you can probably all guess which one it is. Um, <laughs> There were farmers, there were, um, you know, older, uh, elderly people, you just name it. They, there, there was a different type there. So I thought, well, with this group, and most of them don't know each other. A few did, but um, most of them didn't know, and didn't even know that others had, had called the official about it. And so I interviewed them, ran a story, and then the story just ran away with me. And I never thought at that time that I would almost 30 years later be sitting and talking about it on the radio um, or that so many people would have called me from or written me from all over the world which is still happening too you know I, I get um, news stories all the time so um, it's just an unanticipated life that, that I've um, lived ever since this happened so our and listeners the thing is sure just so our listeners understand, so our listeners understand, we're talking about the legendary Beast of Bray Road, which is probably a, a lot of people yeah. have heard of, but yeah. doesn't didn't understand the background. <clears throat> and for our listeners here, I've actually Google Earthed Bray Road out of curiosity, and it looks like every other country road in our geographical yeah, location. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing spooky. It's not one of these spooky lane type of things, you know, where the leaves are hanging low and, you know, it's dark and shadow. It's mostly open farmland. Um, so it's it's really, I, I was baffled for years. I finally came up with what I think might be an answer to why all these things are happening in this one little area, especially on the road. You know, I can pinpoint certain places too, but... Um, it did have a, a special purpose at one time, and a, it, that finding that took years of digging in the local libraries um, until I found a little book I hadn't seen before. And this is just my conjecture, and I think I've got this in um, my next to most recent book, um, Monsters Among Us. It's in, it's in, I keep forgetting what's in what book now. Um, well, you've only written like 50. 50 books, right? Or no, it's 18. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's 18. Now, now, Linda, I can tell 
by the enthusiasm in your voice that you are, that even though this is 30 years later and it was somewhat unexpected or probably totally unexpected, you are glad that you followed up on some of those stories and took that file and started down this path. Am I, is my right to assume that? Because even this early in the morning, you seem pretty excited about the prospect of a half man, half uh, wolf running around anywhere. Well, you know, it's just that I still get amazed and curious as to what it was exactly and why people are still seeing it and why is it all over the world, really. And when you get looking into other phenomena, and here's the thing, I found that um, like John, the late great John Keel, the investigator who um, pretty much gave us um, Mothman, um, you, you start to realize that all of these things seem related somehow, geographically um, or in, in legend and, and stories about them. And that's kind of what keeps me going. That and the fact that people keep seeing it. It wasn't like, oh, two or three people saw this weird animal. And and really, in a lot of places, that's all it takes to start a legend. It's, you know, a few sightings, big one animal. This one just kept going and going and is still going. And... Um, I really didn't dive into it immediately either because I worked for that newspaper for 10 years. And during those 10 years, I maybe wrote um, the three update ones when I had gotten a particularly impressive little bunch of, of uh, sightings. I would do a column for the paper. The rest of the time, I was just doing ordinary newspaper fare and uh, some heavy subjects. It wasn't just like a little, you know, village shopper. We had stories on um, spousal abuse and um, festivals in the area, you name it, the whole thing that you usually see in a, a small weekly newspaper. I think the circulation was uh, something like 15,000, not really just a tiny newspaper. And so after 10 years, and it kept increasing and increasing, and the TV shows had been coming out. You know, we had Inside Edition back when Bill O'Reilly was... Um, the host of that and um, the new sci-fi show had come out and those were pretty big things at that time you have to remember back in 1991 when this happened too there was no internet as we know it there was nothing to you know there was no google lookup or, or anything else so these programs were very important to people as pretty much their own their only um way to learn information about the creature. And so finally, after about 10 years, I thought, well, I really ought to write this book, write a book about it. And I was pretty sure that no um, respectable publisher would take it. So I wrote a history, uh, historic crime book first, a true historic crime, about a poison murderer in in the same county, Walworth County. Um, in the 1920s that had been totally forgotten, never written about since the crimes were committed, and it was it was called The Poison Widow, um, since a, a tale of sin, strict nine and murder. And it was, it was a great story, and the publisher was um, a, regional, a very good regional pu publisher, so I was glad to have it. And I went to see him after it was published, and he said, well, so what have you got now? And I said, well, would you believe werewolves? And they liked it. And 
part, part of it was that I wasn't just writing accounts of people seeing this. I was putting in all of the sociological things that were happening at the time. You know, the, the bakers were making werewolf cookies, and politicians were running um, the the uh, okay by the wolf man, and they'd have to, there's one, one uh, congressman who had a picture taken with a guy in a werewolf suit standing by the woods, and he won his election, too. So, um, well, it was a pretty good endorsement. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Not vote for the guy and have? I mean, imagine that door-to-door solicitation. You know, can I count on your vote? For if not, if not, here's my campaign chairman. He'd like to have a few words with you. Yes. But I see what you did, Linda. You softened you softened them up with a real legitimate story that. You you know you're an excellent writer, so they're probably like, man, this is. And then cause you went something mainstream, yeah, mainstream, and then I, yeah, I see what you did. You gave him the left jab before you hit him with the uppercut, right? With the I'm gonna we're, I want to talk about werewolves. Sure, more like a big a big bite of gave him a big bite of uh, <laughs> of uh, something like that. But anyway, so it's still you know it's it's still going and the thing is that it's expanded my or my these things were always there but my knowledge has expanded because I started realizing that where there were um, things that related to the so-called werewolf which I've always said from the beginning I still say today it's I don't believe we're talking about anything like the traditional classic werewolf where like in France you know they had the Beast of Javadan, which was actually killing and eating people. Um, to acknowledge this creature has not done that. Um, there's there's a, one incident in Kentucky that's talked about uh, quite a lot, but um, it, it's still up in the air what it is, and if that were true, I mean, you would be getting killings all over the, the, um, the country and, and uh, the world. It would be very hard to do. Well, if you uh, if you talk to David Pilates in uh, Missing 411, he might say, well, something, yeah, something. something's making people disappear. <laughs> so, so yeah. Linda, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to jump ahead because there's a lot of stuff in between. But, you know, I just did this, this podcast, obviously, with Wes. We just talked about Sasquatch Chronicles. And really, the debate that I see today, the debate is not does these things exist because there's been thousands of of eyewitnesses including myself the debate i don't think centers on does dogman exist the debate centers on what is dogman is this a biological creature or is this something paranormal or supernatural and i think you start to get into a little bit of that because you talked about you were doing some research at a library and you think you know why all these sightings were happening on this little uh, you know, stretch of road called Bray Road in Wisconsin. So I think we're really excited today to get your take on this as far as is this a biological creature or is this something that's supernatural that Native Americans have talked about for thousands of years. And, and, before, and before you answer that, the one thing that that I would like to throw out there, and this may tie into that, is so as you have done, you know, written these books and done these investigations throughout the year, so you have a cluster of sightings there around Bray Road. 
do you find that there are clusters of sightings? Uh, when there's a sighting, do you find that there is multiple sightings from a different area? Is that, do you find that, or have you found that over the years? So that maybe whatever you have found in the Bray Road area can also be an answer as to why there's other clusters of sightings. If that's the case, maybe that's not. Um, well, yeah, different areas do have flare-ups at, at different times. Um, for instance, I've found a number of upright wolf sightings, large upright wolf sightings in some of the uh, northern European countries, um, France and Germany in particular, and many of them cluster around military sites, mm-hmm. um, some left over from World or even some that go back to medieval times. Uh, good military sites tend to stay on, you know, because they require certain things. They require, um, uh, usually they want high land so they can see around them, you know, what, what's happening and protect it better. Um, sometimes there are interesting electromagnetic features in the area um, or usually something special. And... Um, so I've, I've written about these uh, on, kind of on their own, but they do range all over the U.S. But still, here's this little three to four mile long um, road of farms, and we're having people to this day seeing weird things. And um, there's a place that I, on, that, on the northeastern end of Bray Road that um, seems to have more activity than any place else. And I received a call about five or six years ago from a man named Lee Hample who happened to have purchased um, a big part of that land. He had 40 acres. He was a retired math teacher from Chicago. He had horses and he wanted to uh, grow food for his horses right there. And he kept finding mutilated animals on the property. And he started asking some of his neighbors, and they're going, oh, yeah, that's the werewolf. Just go, you know, go talk to Linda Godfrey. And imagine, you know, coming from Mexico, and, and they say, yeah, that's the werewolf. Like, yeah, that's, you know. Like, this guy, this, guy bought, this guy bought land on Bray Road and had no idea that yeah. they're... Well, that's his own fault. I mean, yes, that's his own <laughs> fault. Did he wonder why he got it for, like, $25 an acre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, and it's, it's a really interesting piece of land, too. But, um, again, no big deep forest or anything. Uh, part of it butts up against another field, which butts up against some forested land. So there's sort of a cushion between him, uh, where he has his barn, and, and actual Bray Road. They, they, and if you, a and I, not to cut you off, but if you Google Earth sure. Bray Road and you Google Earth Temple Road, where I had my experience, they're incredibly similar. Incredibly similar. Oh. Yep. Well, this is, um, I, I, I've shown this at conferences that I've talked to, and people get really excited when they see it, um, because I had found this little book in the Alcorn Library that I hadn't seen anywhere a few years ago, and um, it was old Indian trails of Walworth County. And I realized, because there's, you know, there's just like nothing to differentiate 
the road from any other place until I read this. And it turns out that it was the site of large maple groves and that it was known for um, maple syrup, which would have been a sacred place in early Native American times because uh, maple syrup, you know, they didn't have regular sugar. This was something that could make food taste good and preserve food and was considered you know, a big uh, boon to the tribe to have this. And so I started looking at the trails, and I realized that this end of Bray Road, right where Lee Hample has his 40 acres, happens to be um, the center of a geological prayer wheel, uh, some people call it. It has different different names. But you'll see this in various uh, native lands and and things that they create all over the United States. It's not just particular to one tribe, but this tip of Bray Road happened to be the center of, if you took um, a piece of paper and drew north-south lines and then drew straight east-west lines and then off to the, it, to the angles, um, each one, the center of it would be Lee Hample's farm. And then the other ones each lead out to a cluster of freshwater lakes, which are also sacred and were the site in many of these towns of the ancient effigy mounds. And they're animal-shaped effigy mounds. And when the settlers first arrived, this whole area of southern, southern Wisconsin, especially southeastern Wisconsin, was covered with them. And the grounds around them were manicured like state park, um, only probably more in order that our state parks uh, are now let to run pretty wild. These were manicured and almost um, like terraformed was what it looked like when when these started. And Bray Road was the very center of this. And and I followed each one of these um, components out to where it it ended in, in little lakes. And there was one for each and they were all filled with these ancient animal effigy figures, which are not small things. Um, some, of, some of them have ranged up to 150 feet wide, and what they are is raised, they're usually raised uh, three to six feet above the ground level, and they're very stylized depictions, and people say, oh, they're just crude drugs. No, they're not crude, they're very stylized um, which meant there were certain codes for knowing how to how to depict each animal so they would know what it was. And they would arrange them with the landscape. So if they were doing bears, there'd be a line of bears going down to um, the water. If they were doing thunderbirds, the thunderbirds would be farther up above the other animals. And this fits into the Ho-Chunk. That's uh, one of the local tribes. Uh, their most ancient um, lore that they have and beliefs relate to these, um, to their own tri- uh, tribal totem figures. So this is kind of mind-bending. I'm still trying to um, get a really good geological depiction of it so people can see it. But the, th- the interesting thing was that the Ho-Chunks belief and the belief of just about any Native American elder that I've been able to track down and talk to, um, I have some friends who are also in this position to know, and they all say that they believe their ancestors, and still to this day, believe that these um, 
creatures like Bigfoot and the upright wolf and the thunderbird are multidimensional and that they come originally from what they would call the spirit world. They emerge into our world through these freshwater springs that abide in all of these creatures on this big pie-shaped um, kind of imaginary, um, you know, because there's, there's nothing, there's no big line. You have to kind of look at the map and then look at where you are to, to decide where these would have been. But um, I, although I actually have drawn a map myself, but it's still interesting. It all works together. There's the lore, there's the, the, um, the freshwater springs, there is the geological formation that, again, it's not drawn by a line, but you have to look and see where each of these communities are um, situated, and it's, it's almost a perfect geological medicine wheel. So I think what you're coming, so to answer my question, I think what you're telling the listeners out there is you're leaning towards these are supernatural, multidimensional creatures. They're flesh and blood. They're flesh and blood. They they, have the ability to. Right, exactly. They're they're flesh and blood when they're here. They, They come here for reasons perhaps like procreation. When they're here, they can eat. They need to eat in order to have um, energy to go places. They can procreate. Um, they can do what they want. But when they want to go back, they go back through these freshwater springs and um, come back and forth between the spirit world and ours as they like. And so um, when you ask the question, are they flesh and blood? Are they something in between? Are they spirit creatures? The answer is yes. <laughs> all the above. <laughs> that was always yeah. my favorite on standardized tests. D, all of the above. All the above. All the above. So, Linda, the the numerous sightings, and I understand what you're saying about about Bray Road being the perfect location for giving the miles of stuff. But how does that explain the thousands of sightings all over? And you know, in Ohio, we've had multiple sightings mm-hmm. um, in one of your books real uh, wolfmen if anybody has the book is fantastic on page 113 don't ask me how I have that memorized but on page 113 you talk about two people seeing dogmen in Mansfield Ohio which by the way is 20 miles that's from where right. Jason drove from today right. by mm-hmm. the way so in the fog yes with the <laughs> So it's a good thing you didn't know about this story before. So Mansfield, Ohio is just 20 miles away from where we're located and probably 30 miles from Temple Road where I had my experience. For the life of me, I don't think we have anything like that, although Ohio is known for... Like, oh, yeah, like Ohio is mountain. definitely native. I mean, oh, we're, yeah. 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 yeah, the mountain building yeah, Indians so- are in Ohio. And I don't know exactly, um, you know, where the boundaries of this might be, where there aren't anymore. I think you can find different sorts of entry points at different places. And interestingly enough, um, there are other types of unknown upright creatures that I I don't think are the same thing and other people, too. For instance, um, everybody interested in, in this show perhaps has seen the um, Skinwalker Ranch series. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
about a long time before. Very often I will get reports of people who are um, driving in or near um, a reservation, and they will see something that looks like an upright wolf, except it's much more human. You know, it's got actual shoulders, and um, it may have parts... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Clothing on it, which normally you don't you don't see. Um, it usually has red eyes instead of the normal canine yellow green eye shine, and so it's it's just different, bigger, and it's supposed they're supposed to be related to um, medicine men who've turned down a different path than yeah. normal medicine men too. There's, mm-hmm. So there's that one. Then there are um, also creatures that are supposed to be. Um, the medicine men who've turned down a normal healing path, and they, this gets into a whole other thing, it segues. They are said to travel in orbs, in perfect spheres of light, and some are white, some are orange, seem to be the main colors. There are, sometimes you see other ones, but mainly they're white or orange, um, often described as the size of a basketball. And I saw one, along with Lee Hampel on his farm, and uh, a colleague who is um, an interior designer from Chicago, Sanjay Singhal, uh, we were doing a stakeout. I had asked um, Sanjay to join us. And the thing was, they, what, the, uh, what Lee Hample was doing, had been doing, was bringing back carcasses from Illinois, roadkill deer, that he would bring, and at, at the time this was now this just sounds like the start of a. This sounds like the start of a real horror movie. Like you got this this guy from the city bringing back carcasses. And by the way, if you invited me to a stakeout and there wasn't really any steak, I'd be very disappointed. Just, just you know. As an aside, I think it's illegal to take deer carcasses across straight lines. By the way, it is now. It is now. But the um, thing was, he could legally a carcass from Illinois in his own truck to his own farm in Wisconsin. Oh, because um, it was for farm, farm use or something maybe? Like you could do... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he, he could do that, and he had um, DNR people out to his farm and stuff just to make sure, but then a couple of years ago, he had to quit because there was a resurgence of, um, you know, the brain disease, cat, the, the deer, deer brain disease, mm-hmm. and so they, they clamped. Is that wasting or something? Is that what it's called? 
this was just before that happened. So he still, he had this one, it was 180 pounds of beer. It was this massive thing. And nothing was touched. He had it laid out area where um, he almost had like a, a pivot point where these things would um, attack whatever was laid or when I say these things, because I really don't know what we're talking about, but whatever was laid out back there would be um, torn apart or partly devoured or one one was dragged out into the center of the field and its neck snapped off just like and twisted. There, you could see the twist mark on it. And he was told by a butcher that he would anybody to do that, any human would have needed a huge chopping block and um, butchery tools, you know, to to make its its neck like that. So anyway, um, yeah, it was a very very eerie place to be, and nothing was touching this one that he put out, and um, it wasn't good enough for for humans. But usually, you'll find some some animal on the totem pole will will start munching on these things. And um, he he was really documenting it well too. He has like several thousand photos from taken from three to four different uh, trail cams that he had out there trying to take the photos of them. And in every case, you'd, he'd set it up so that there were photo, or excuse me, trail cams on the creature and then, or the, the deer, I should say, and then during the time that something was taken and the next picture, there would either be like a big blast of, of steamy air that formed a mist and you couldn't see um, what was going on, and then in the next one, the carcass would, was gone, basically. Um, it, there, it, it gets really complicated, so I, w- I won't go into all that, but he had this big buck lying out in the usual takeaway take point, and um, I, had, I thought it was just so strange. I said, you know, Lee, why don't we just have this stakeout and sit and see if something is scaring, something even bigger is scaring away, you know, whatever should be taking the bait here. And so we were sitting um, across the field from that point, and there was um, a kind of some shrubbery nearby, but nothing much else. We were just sitting in there kind of shooting the breeze. I was in the back seat with my camera. I like to be in the back so I can see what's sneaking up. And... Um, two guys who were big guys they were both um like six foot two or so were sitting in the front so they blocked my view a little bit but i was watching these lights come along a a normal flight path and and uh one was striking me as making slightly erratic movements and when i thought that it stopped and backed up and it looked like airplane landing lights at the size they should be from where we were looking but when it backed up, in, when it was hanging there in the air, I said, hey, guys, I don't think this is an airplane. And they looked. And when the three of us looked, it was that, as if it knew we were looking at it. It began to come across the field toward us. And we saw there was no airplane. There was, there was nothing for it to be a landing light, too. But the light was consistent. And we were just, you know, jaws dropped. Um, I was trying, fumbling with my camera to try and get it. And it moved within... A matter of seconds really to right next to the car and it was um, maybe 20 20 25 feet in the air and about the same from the car and it was the size of a basketball it was a silvery white sphere 
a perfect like if like it had been machined or something and it had uh, it was lit from within but it didn't really uh light up the area it uh cast like a, a beam down at one point but um you know it was just shocking because there was nothing to explain it and i have read many places since then that um shaman or medicine men would often travel inside the this type of orb i actually was close to one too i had another sighting previously some years ago in michigan in a haunted house and it looked exactly like what we were seeing but the three of us um all agreed exactly on what we saw it was amazing well you know and and i hate to give sasquatch chronicles so much publicity because i mean they really need it but (laughs) but i I listen to west quite i listen to that quite a bit and that's the one thing he has been finding with the bigfoot sightings is that he always asks um about have you seen orbs of light and almost everybody sees orbs of light in conjunction with bigfoot sightings which would certainly tie into your theory of if these things are coming from another dimension or another plane of existence uh and that's how they traveled is by a you know and it's you're talking about bigfoot and the thunderbirds and dogman and whatever other kind of cryptids out there and that's their mode of travel i mean it goes hand in hand with what you're with what you're saying obviously and i mean we know david hensley from the paranormal road they were right. out doing a he's a you know they were doing like a ghost hunt outside or a ghost investigation and he's described the same thing to to us that they he saw this orb of light that was obviously intelligent because it was dodging dodging trees and moving you know intelligently in his estimation and up there where they were looking there's also quite a few bigfoot sightings in the woods and so it makes you wonder if right. if those things are you know they're coming at, you know from that other world and they're like ooh wait a second this i, I, I can't show up here so yeah. one thing about that is you talk about dimensional planes <clears throat> the thing that i saw on temple road the first thing that i thought of description wise it looked like the egyptian god anubis that's what that's how i described it and and i have had make that description you're not the only one and the thing about it is you know anubis was a god to the egyptian was the god of the underworld so he would be a, a god of a different dimensional plane but talking to wes on sasquatch chronicles he was telling me that uh, you know the egyptians sort of stole that concept from the sumerians and the sumerians had this uh I'm not gonna say folklore. I guess I don't know how to describe, it. but but belief. they were experiencing belief, belief was long like... before the Egyptians. So if you're talking about you know ancient Mesopotamian uh, Sumerians, ancient I mean that's the the cradle of civilization is where you know life sprang right. up. I mean these things have been around for thousands upon thousands of years, traveling from one dimension to the other, and then get incorporated yeah. into organized religion. With, with the Egyptians, so it, right. it makes Every, sense. They're, they're all over the, the globe. And, you know, here's the thing. It, we felt it was acting intelligently with us, too, because um, 
Sanjay, for some reason, felt he needed to shine a big mag light at this thing. And, I mean, it, it, we, we don't know why. He said he just felt the urge to. And he did. He shone it out, because he was driving, he shone it out of his driver's side window. And the thing, we all had the feeling that it was surprised. You know, it was like um, just this this sense of, yeah, it, it was shocked, although it had no features or anything like that in it. And when he, like within a second after he did that, it just sort of closed in around itself and was gone. And he thought maybe it went behind this bunch of uh, brushy plants, and he just jumped out of the car to do that. I wasn't going out of that car, and uh, <laughs> neither was Lee. But, but um, he came back within seconds, and he had just this kind of drained expression on his face. And he said, I'm terribly sick. I'm sorry, but we have to leave right now. And he didn't see anything in particular, but he just got this complete ill, um, you know, he, we could tell by his face, it was just ashen that we had to leave. I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't done that, if we would have been beamed up or um, <laughs> who knows, we all would have been. But because he went around there and did that, we ended, and he had driven, we, we did leave then. So, but there are also um, other claims about these spheres. Um, many tribes believe that little people travel in them, that Bigfoot travels in them. They're kind of a, um, oh, transport, just universal transport from what I make out of looking up all these. Well, yeah. If you look at uh, if you if you go back to Iceland and you look at the you know, the folklore involving the Fey, that's the the same thing right. is that they transfer and and that's the whole Midsummer's Night's Eve thing is that on Midsummer's Night's Eve, the veil between our world and this supernatural world is at its thinnest because of the the summer right. equinox or whatever, and that that's when you can see orbs more clearly and stuff like that. I'm just going to tell you, if Elon Musk gets a hold of these, this podcast, he's going to try to figure out a way to oh, he'll capitalize on that as a mode of transportation, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't. So, so then... They're kind of like universal so, so what? So then I guess then your theory on what these beings are and where they come from probably then... Um, might explain why Bigfoot and Dogman, despite all the experiences and sightings and encounters, don't really seem to be intent on, on hurting or killing a human being. If they're, you know, it seems like maybe they're, they're more or less trying to scare people out of certain areas uh, to keep them away from them, but it doesn't seem like they really want to do us harm as much as they just want to instill a little bit of respect and fear in us for that, for their being. That's certainly how it seems, you know, and I always say I, I, I can't claim that, yes, this is what they are, all of them for sure. I think we're, we are looking at several somewhat different phenomena when you see the types that look like the skinwalkers or you see the, the um, I call them the normal forest type that people run into them in the woods or, um, you know, just there's there's several others too, but um, yeah, I I like to say that it fits it best fit this this theory best fits what I've heard from Native American friends across 
the country and, and um, other places in the world, too. I mean, it's simply a worldwide phenomena. And why would that be if there wasn't some validity to it? And it does sometimes make people sick. Um, in fact, all of these things do, and I don't necessarily recommend that everybody run off to the woods and look for them because it may be a bad thing for you, you know, and my health has not been great since I started actually encountering them. And, and, uh, and it, by the way, it took, it took me almost 20 years to have what I would call a bona fide sighting. So um, were you, it's were you, not something that people should... Were you... Pardon? Were you dis... I mean, did you really... Did you really want to have an encounter and a sighting? Or were you just fine with hearing other people's encounters and sightings, especially after you've had yours? You know, because the judge has said forever, careful what you wish for when people say, well, I'd love to see some. I'd love to see one. Well, you know, I mean, so how do you feel like now that you've had those experiences? Is it... Uh, something you're glad that you had or you're kind of like, eh, maybe I, d I wish I didn't have? Well, you, you know, you just never know because um, it, it works out differently for different people. Some, um, some people go through life and, and they're healthy and it doesn't seem to bother them, but um, an amazing amount of people who seem to get real close and are always putting themselves out there do end up with various things. For instance, um, I had I had cancer back oh about 14 years ago, and when I came down with it, I was um, do I was overdue for an exam, and I had just been out spending a weekend in La Crosse, Wisconsin, going out on back roads with the people who saw the Mothman, uh, or the what I call the actually I call it the La Crosse Man Bat. It's on the western uh, side of, of Wisconsin. And we were out late at night following. We had some strange things happen, you know, while we were following the trail of it. And when I got home, I made my appointment, went to the doctor, found out I had cancer. And he said, well, you know, he said, um, this is a really fast-growing thing. He's a couple of weeks ago. And he got down to the time where I was in lacrosse. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, it, this one wasn't even here. And moreover, it was hiding behind, almost intelligently, it was hiding behind um, a tumor that was benign, you know, so um, it was almost missed at first. So I don't know if, you know, how can you possibly say for sure that's what caused it, but then I've had other things too over the years, and, and um, it makes me wonder. And you look at um, other people, Rob Riggs, from Texas, who got was best uh, known for talking about the Marfa lights in in Texas. He had all of these same experiences right down to the spheres, and um, he passed away much too young from cancer. And you can go on and find, of course, a certain number of people in any given population are going to come down with um, terminal diseases. But it just seems that within this one really rather small group of a disproportionate, yeah. There's so, so I think what you're seeing is that the theory is these orbs, these phenomena, are basically emitting some sort of radiation that would be similar to if I got too close to a, um, you know, a piece of uranium. Well, how would you, how would you travel? I mean, realistically, how would you travel from one dimension to the other anyway? You'd have to have 
I mean, it's not like there's just a door. I mean, you, right. I mean, there might be a doorway that leads to, a, right. you know, what, but you'd have to have some real source of energy to do that. And to go back, would you draw like, are right. you drawn energy or somebody's life force from them to propel you to, you know, be able to become a, a, a real form in this dimension and then need some more energy to, you know, get back to where you came from? I mean... Well, if you're talking about shaman who are able to change or metamorphose... Well, I don't think we're talking about... Right. What, yeah, what we're what talking about, like, their pet. That's what I think we're talking about. That's but if you're talking about being able to travel through an orbital light, you'd have to change your body, your molecular structure to get inside an orb the 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 amount well, uh, the immense energy that it would take to do that i think right uh, it doesn't sound likely probably, but it's probably also why um the people who practice this the shamans and the uh the medicine men and the skinwalkers um they undergo some sort of intense training that you know what one, one can only surmise that can reduce them or change their change their actually change their um, molecular or um, radioactive that's a, that's around term their um, electromagnetic excuse me um, structure in order to do these that's why they it, you, they can't just go to like one meeting of of uh, skinwalker camp and <laughs> do this to my knowledge they have to go uh, it's it's a thing that happens over many years. Um, there are good spins and bad spins on these things, and um, thing that is kept mysterious and at bay for the great number of people in you know in human population. Because can you imagine if everybody could do this? It would well, be pretty chaotic. That was going to lead me to the title of your nineteenth book: Interdimensional Travel for Dummies. Uh, I mean, imagine the imagine the promotion you could do for that. The cross, I mean, the, it'd make this uh, uh, dogman stuff look like chicken feed if you could, you know, get that, get a handle on that. Well, here's a thought here. Well, and the uh, orbs themselves, they could be interdimensional. To us, they could look like from our dimension, they could be small round orbs about the size of a basketball but within that orb itself it could be any size that could be a direct gateway into another dimension there's that to consider as well that sounds like the whole theory of what if our planet is just a speck on a giant's thumb or something right. so it, or yeah something. i get I mean, what jason is jason yeah. saying is oh yeah wait what may appear to us to be a small ball of light. A small ball of light is actually inside that due to... Our perception, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's actually much larger inside that. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Much larger inside than what we can see on the outside. It's like the whole inside could be a whole other dimension. What, what's the theory? And somebody help me on this. It, the, the closer you get to traveling at the speed of light, things smaller. get the smaller yeah. the mass gets. Well, yes. that's the that I believe was Einstein's theory. Right. Or, I mean... Yeah, or, I think it is. Or some... Well, yeah, the, see, the faster you go, the see, smaller See, Linda, book number 20 is physics for dummies. 
we're this is what we're broaching. We need that. We need to have that handy here so we can. <laughs> or or maybe it's we'll write it physics by a bunch of dummies. Physics. Quantum temporal mechanics by a bunch of dummies. Well, and, and this gets brought up all the time in on our podcast when we talk about ghosts and different things like that. Is you know first rule of thermodynamics. Right. Einstein is energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes different forms. And. Uh, right. And what what does that energy well, and, you do? Know, there's also the, the the question of how it interacts with our human um, waves, what, whatever it is that we have. Because my I can tell you real quickly, my other incident is told about in Weird Wisconsin, and excuse me, Weird Michigan. Because I was in Michigan driving around um, somewhere in the northern part, um, and this would have been about 2005 that my my usual method was to blow into a town and find out where the local historian lived. And um, I was in uh, this little town on the shore of uh, Lake Michigan, and somebody said to me, well, um, or actually it was the, the local historian that sent me to a, an old brick tavern that was now being used for an apartment and law offices. And... The lady who owned the building had no idea that I was coming, who I was, what I wanted. So there's nothing she could have set up. And um, I got her to take me down to the basement because normally for that book, I just needed to get photographs of the surroundings because you couldn't really expect ghosts to uh, show up on cue or anything. So I'm like, well, we'll go down to the basement. I'll take my shots of what we've got down there. And we walked down, and it was a huge, huge basement with absolutely nothing in it and all of the, the um, ductwork had been taped over with brown paper so it was very plain there was one little light bulb at the far end and one next to the steps where we were and we decided to turn off the lights for a few minutes and um, we were just standing there in the dark and then all of a sudden this white form and this was only a seven foot ceiling and it was maybe about six or seven feet away from me with this ceiling um, right there and this white whitish basketball sized orb just appeared right in front of me I had the unique impression that um, it was very interested in me for some reason and I thought no this can't be and I turned my head away and looked back because I was thinking it was just a you know a optical delusion and it was still there just like it had been and I had my camera around my neck. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. I had an actual camera with me at that time. And I raised it up, and that's all the time it took for it to just kind of boink out of existence. It was, it was gone. And um, I asked the, and I could hear the uh, owner kind of take a sharp breath. We hadn't said anything or spoken during this time. And she turned the light back on, and I said, um, "Did you see that?" And she said, "Yes." But what she saw was the full form of the ghost that was known for being in that basement. They called him Little Billy. He was a like, teenage boy that died of tuberculosis um, in the early 1900s and was known through town that way because he was seen as this young man. She saw Basement Billy, as he was known, and I saw just the pure form of the orb at the same time, in the same place, and I think it's because she had an expectation of what this thing should look like, uh -huh. and I didn't. I was just like, oh, 
you know, it's going to take a couple minutes and then I'll turn the light back on and go to the next place. So that suggests to me that these things have the ability to interact with our minds or with our electromagnetic fields or, or whatever, and it's almost like they're, they're using our brains as a computer um, image perhaps or, or something, but whatever is in, whatever you are building as an expectation in your mind um, is going to look up, maybe, and I, I don't want to say boomerang back on you, but um, that's, that's what you'll see. Evidently, so that's and that's a. I mean, that is a great example of that's fascinating. Yeah, of two people seeing the same thing, and it's not like she said oh, I didn't see anything, but she saw the same thing that right. she saw something at the same time you did. Her perception was a ghost or boy. Your perception was a ball of light because you had no i you had no expectation. You had no frame of reference. Yeah. You didn't know that there was a go. Right. Well, well, maybe you did. So what was the impetus to go to this building anyway and take the picture for the book? I mean, what was the story that you were kind of researching and going to put well, in the it book? Was, it, was, it was known to have poltergeist activity. Okay. And it was um, thought there were weird things. I mean, she, she used to run an antique store in there, and she'd come in in the morning into the locked, still locked, um, room and all the glassware would have been swiped off to the counter to the floor, you know, things like that. And so it had gotten kind of a, a reputation. And a few people were seeing this mysterious disappearing figure that looked like a, a, a boy, a teenage boy, you know, dressed in the antique clothing. And so um, it was talked about that way, but I didn't know that. She, I just thought it was like a poltergeist because she was telling me about the silverware that, and glassware that was found in, and breaking, it would break light bulbs. And I was just thinking of sort of a, um, you know, um, protozoan type energy that wasn't uh, re really rigidly known, you know. So I didn't expect that I was gonna see a full shaped, um, young man and I didn't I saw the, the pure energy the globe of energy well I think what you need to do then is you need to go back and sit in that basement until <laughs> until you no, see another I never wanted anything so out of that basement <laughs> I mean it would just be interesting to see if you now you would see basement belly or what you know or whatever he was called I mean now that that yeah. is your expectation yeah, that, and that was in Manistee, Michigan. And if anybody has the weird Michigan book, um, that then you can see kind of see the picture of of the lady and what it looks like and everything. But it was it was really creepy in there. I I didn't like it at all. I just wanted to get out of there. That sounds like a perfect job for for one of uh, one of our loyal listeners up there, Tim Loveless, to, he would be just the kind of guy we could send to go sit in the basement, and he would love that, because he's kind of a creepy guy himself. But he, and I only say that because I know Tim will listen to this, and he'll be like, oh, thanks a lot, you know, but you gotta take care of So what listeners. expectation would the ghost have of seeing Tim? Ooh, I don't know. I could say, I could probably you say that. The, the, when you put it on a scale of creepiness. Jason would have to cut that out of the episode, I would, if I yeah. said that out loud, of what the expectation <laughs> So, so, so Linda, you, you have, you've written all these, you know, 
18 books uh, amassed. I mean, I can't even imagine the research that has gone, you know, what, you know, gone into these books, the follow up, the, uh, the field research, the field the research, the talk. Yeah. What, what is the, what really stands out to you as one of the scariest, best, creepiest dog man stories that you have come across that you just, uh, you know, other than the judges, because I because I know you listen to the judges' story, but what is the, like what is one of the the best stories that you've heard, word for word? Wow, um, that's really a tough one because you know there've been so many, um, and some of them are just simple, but I think really frightening. Um, there was a man. And, well, and I think it would have to be the only one I know of that was actually hurt by one of these things. And this was a man in Quebec, and um, he was out just walking on a trail one day, and he was not armed or anything like that. And the next thing he knows, he's walking up a trail, and this big animal is there, and it turns around, and it's um, an upright wolf-like creature, and it was at least six feet tall, just like they're always explained. And he was just like in panic mode. And he said he wanted to get around it and get away from it. And he, each time he'd make a move, it would sort of counter it. It was like, he said he, he felt it was not being um, vicious, but more like when you run up your, with your shopping cart in a grocery store and you don't know which way to go, you know, you're putting it this way and that way. Yes. And finally, he just it, it dove past him, and he sort of went slightly the wrong way at the same time. And it ended up, ended up skinning its fangs along his um, flank, his side, and actually caused um, like a, uh, a, big, a big wound as it went. And he had to go to the hospital and get stitches and told them it was a bear because he knew they'd never believe him. But he said he, he always felt it didn't mean to do that. It's just that, like... Um, he had sort of cornered it, and it, that's the way it, it went out, and then he made it kind of... Ca- and he sent me a, a photograph of the stitched-up area, you know, and you can't prove it from something like that, but I've shown it to friends who are a doctor or a surgeon, and they said it looks like um, very consistent with something like a, 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 carn- a, car- a long tooth from a carnivore of some type. So... Um, and he said that's exactly what it was. It was a wolf on its hind legs. And that, to me, is really scary because it shows that they do exist in a, a solid enough form that they could do danger if they wanted to. It's the implications as much as anything else. Well, yeah, I mean, because there's not, let's be honest, there's nothing you could do if a creature that size with fangs, claws, and traveling interdimensional or whatever, even if it wasn't in a spirit creature, that kind of creature you'd stand no chance against. Well, think of it this way: I mean, if you get attacked by an eighty-pound pit bull, yeah, you stand no chance. Listen, I mean, I'm, on the, I'm on the pound. I'm on the mail route every day, and it doesn't take. It, I mean, a forty-pound dog is on you and got a hold of your leg before you can, you know. Do anything about it, and 
I'm just like that. So I can't imagine. I've seen some dogs that are 100 pounds. Joe Rogan's podcast, he talked about, would you fight a 30-pound rat? Not that they exist, but would you fight? No, because 30-pound rat would probably kill you. A 30-pound rat absolutely does exist in the bowels of New York, New York City. City. Come on. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, the thing that I obviously, that my experience and, and the thing that I saw that night, you know, six-foot-tall, canine, the, there's no way I could have fought that off. I mean, there's just no way I could have fought that off. I mean, I don't care. People, people yeah, I thought it, it would, wanted to have me for lunch, and it could have if it wanted to badly enough, you know. But almost that's the other baffling thing is that in almost every occasion, the creature will look, people will have the impression that it could get them if it wanted to. Um, you know, it's not happy that they're there, but then at some point, that it will just break off and dive into the shrubbery and and they don't see it again, you know. So it's almost as if it's bluff charging, and it sounds to me very territorial um, in nature, and maybe that's a lot of what's behind it. It wants its own territory. And that's often, people feel that's the, the case with with uh, Bigfoot, too. So. Well, as, uh, as within any, like, society, let's just say, like, you know, we'll call it the Bigfoot, circles and the and the and the dog man there's always some rogue characters so for you know there's there's probably some dog men some bigfoot some other cryptids who maybe are having a bad day or they just don't like the way things are run and they're going to be the ones that are maybe snatching people from national parks or you know, I mean, there's always there's always going to be some bad actors. Well, I mean, if 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 this if this dog man creature would have gotten me that night, I would have disappeared, and no one would have said, "Well, you know, yeah, I never think know. he was taken by a dog man." I mean, that's a statistic that wouldn't have shown up. No, especially I mean, especially because my my experience predates the the Bray Road incident. I mean, this I mean, no one would think, "Oh, well," and there's no large carnivores. There's no there's no apex predators in my area of the state. People just thought, well, somehow he got abducted by somebody, or he got hit by a semi or yeah, something, or and you know whatever. Yeah, kill. yeah. but uh, so I'm not going to rule out that these things wouldn't kill you. Yeah, because there's you're not. I mean, who's going to be the one to tell? Yeah. Hey, listen, I got killed by a dog man or assassin. No, that's I, yeah. Unless there was some some serious evidence or whatever. right, but but uh, right. um. So, off the topic of Dogman, you mentioned to us before we went on the air that you had some little people stories. Yeah, and um, I have actual sightings of elves and things like that that are in I Know What I Saw, um, the latest book that came out, but also um, in relationship to these little, uh, to, to the things that seem to travel in orbs. And this may be a, a, a good uh, segue for my, to end, to end my, um, my talk for today, but my husband and I had a trip um, the week before last up to Superior, and I had a couple of, couple of things I, I wanted to do up there. It was our anniversary, was the main reason we went, but um, way back in 2005 or so, um, I met a man who was gathering from land that he owned on the south shore of Lake Superior that contained concretions, which are a special type of formation that um, 
it, it's almost like the same idea as uh, putting a, an irritant in an oyster to make it grow a pearl. These are small, round rocks. They, they look like they're almost machines. And inside of each one is some sort of thing, a fossilized thing, like a fossilized leaf or whatever, that uh, sand and pressure over many, many uh, years have made into these little weird-looking balls. Some are like an inch, some are several inches across. And um, that, too, is in the weird, that is in the weird Wisconsin book, um, for good reference. And there was a man up there who had found about 50,000 of them along the lakeshore. And the ones, these particular ones, are only found there. The only trouble was that the, the uh, Bad River Band of um, the, uh, I, I want to get this correct here, um, the Lake, Lake Superior Bad River Band of uh, Chippewa or Ojibwe. And they believe that these concretions were specially created by God, each with a tiny soul. And um, it's a, they've made it illegal now to take these from their land. And they they kind of would like it if people brought them back, although 50,000, I, I doubt they're going to get. But I, I had say, one that I had saved from... Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a haul right there. <laughs> it is. But um, I actually, I, I decided, well... You know, I'm not doing anything with it. They would like it back. Um, you know, why don't I just take it back? And, and so oh, you can't just go out in Lake Superior and throw it if you want, if you want them to know about it. We went and found their tribal um, offices, got uh, escorts down to the, the correct shore, and I threw it out as far as I could into the lake, which was, if you saw uh, Tony uh, Fauci's toss, of the the baseball this spring, I, I was working, <laughs> so it didn't go very far. But, but they said um, they said that was that was fine, and in fact they had said just yeah just take it down to the shore and chuck it in the lake. So I chucked it in the lake, and I just couldn't you couldn't help feeling that it, there was something unique about it, you know. And it's I I didn't do it because I was afraid of it or because I believed in it or because. Um, you know, for any any other reason other than that, I knew they would like it back, and and I I thought that's something I can give someone. But it was weird because each when it landed, it was like um, the sand right there on that beach sort of sucked it down partially down into it, almost like watching somebody go into quicksand. And uh, it was just kind of a unique thing, but it got me to thinking about, you know, we're t- talking about um, spirit like. Um, spirit-like globes that maybe carry spiritized people or other things, and here is the very concrete, no pun intended, version of that same thing. Um, It's like we have certain forms that are solid or spirit-like that mimic one another, and we don't know which one is first or whatever. I think there's just so much work to be done on this. But, um, you know, I I felt kind of good that I... Put it back there, and and, and uh, it. Uh, I don't know. It. I, I. And I'm not trying to urge people for feeling guilty if they have one, because the man who was collecting them had a place called the Concretion Museum, um, and you know was selling them from there. But if if people wanted to, there there is a way to give them back, and and uh, I'm not going to give out any information on that. It's it's easy enough to find. 
find if you just Google the Bad River Band, it, it tells, you know, where they are and everything. But so I just thought it, it, it was another link in um, the presentation of the of globes of light, globes of, of mysterious substance, and globes of earthly substance that all have this idea of something special riding in it or residing in it. And um, to me, that's just an, it's an, another direction to go in the eternal quest. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very interesting. I mean, that's I can't believe fifty thousand. One guy found fifty thousand of those little. I mean, how does that stuff even come into existence? You know, that's just amazing. You know. So um, yeah, <laughs> so just something to kind of blow everybody's mind with the think. If you think about it, it just gets really interesting and. Um, I, they're supposed to be like a, a couple thousand years old, more than that, probably. I can't remember the exact amount, but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. So indeed. So so Linda, before we um, before we let you go today, what uh, is there anything else that you would like to steer our listeners? Um, you know how they can come check your stuff out keep up to date with what you're doing sure. any new things that you're working on that you want to um kind of tease yes. tease the listeners sure yeah um i've been working on the black mystery cats thing and in fact i mentioned a, a little bit about that earlier i think and um my son who is a very skilled filmmaker and i and his, his father and our informant in hillsborough wisconsin about these mystery cats um, created a documentary. Um, it won first place documentary in the Midwestern uh, Midwestern area of the Midwest Weird Fest, and it's now available on Prime Video. The name of it is Return to Wildcat Mountain, and um, it tells a lot of the the Native American view of uh, these sorts of things, um, along with um, the question of why officials won't admit that these types of creatures are there. They don't want to, anything to do with it in, in most cases. We have wonderful, wonderful uh, witnesses. Um, there were, oh, I, think, I think there's a total of over, over 100 witnesses that have given their names, and I'm, I put an extra appendix in, in the back of the book. These, this information is also in two chapters in the I Know What I Saw book. And you can find it all at lindagodfree.com. Um, and of course, again, just for the, for the film, you can just go to Prime Video and do a search for Return to Wildcat Mountain, and you'll uh, pop that up. So we urge all our listeners, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you had, did not know who Linda Gottfried was, shame on you. You're not a true cryptid fan because, like we said, she is the godmother of the dog, of the dog man and many other, you know, I mean, her books run a nice little, little gamut of different subjects. And to know that we can go and watch on, on, on Prime, on Prime that uh, documentary, I mean... I think I think we're all going to go check that out. Oh yes! I mean that sounds that sounds great, but uh, I mean we truly appreciate your approach and all the research that you have done because 
I, I mean, I think you've kind of blown our blown our minds. Oh this yeah, morning. I wasn't expecting this. Today. I gotta <laughs> yeah. be honest with you. With with your take and your you know on what you you know think some of this stuff is. I mean, I don't know how we can argue with you because you've done the research. You know, you've done the research, right. been out there experiencing some of this stuff, and you know, hopefully, you don't run into the uh, the dog man in its dog man form and. And, uh, Not something you really want. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that would be a terrible ch- last chapter to, to the book. <laughs> Linda, Linda, what? Well, I, I may, I may have done that one time. If you read the opening chapter in, um, Michigan Dogman, book. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I'm so, I gotta so, look that up now. <laughs> so for our listeners out there, if you want a good read. Something that you can, and, and, and I do this all the time with, with Linda's books, as I have several of them. I like to sit in bed at night and read about five to ten pages. There's different stories. It breaks it down. It's a perfect nighttime read, and the stories are amazing. And my favorite book so far is Real Wolf Men, True Encounters of Modern America. I know it's an older piece in her catalog, but if you really want to learn more about Dog Man, Pick up that book. Linda, where can they pick that up? Uh, just at your website? Um, actually, it's probably better to, uh, you know, just look for it online in uh, Amazon or um, any online books bookstore. You probably have it. Yeah, Amazon or, Bar- or Barnes, and- Barnes and Nobles, excuse me. Yeah. Barnes and Nobles, Barnes and Nobles yeah, definitely. Or go to... Um, the Penguin Random House pages on, and look up my books there. Um, so there's there's all kinds of places. Okay. Well, Linda, I... Prime Video. I was just going to say, it's Prime Video for Return to Wildcat Mountain. Yes, yes. We'll put, we'll make sure when we uh, uh, post post about this episode that we make sure... Put a link. Put a link up to that so people can... Uh, Go check that out because I think people are gonna after they hear oh, hear this episode are gonna want. I'm gonna go check it out. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, Labor Day weekend, I'm checking it out. Oh yeah, Labor Day, we muzzle, we muzzle labor. So, right. so Linda, I want to thank you personally yeah. for coming on. You know, dog man is a is an important topic to me because of my life experience and I've I've read so many of your books and followed you. I'm a little actually starstruck to be talking to you, and uh, <laughs> it's been super exciting for me. <laughs> well, thank you. I yeah. enjoyed talking with you really very much. Yes, thanks a lot for joining us this morning, Linda. And we can't wait for everybody to hear hear this episode because I think they're really going to enjoy all your insights. So, so have Absolutely. a have a beautiful day there in uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I, I hope you guys had a good anniversary last weekend. We did. We did. We had a very very fun trip. And thanks to all your listeners. I really appreciate it that people take time to listen and think about these things. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. Thanks a lot, Linda. Thanks, Linda. Take care. Thank you. You have a good day now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. (laughs) <laughs> God only knows what's hiding in our shadows 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 